and welcome to the Bubble Lounge. This is Martha Jackson and Nellie Shudo. Nellie, I've heard you say so many times that you absolutely love watching local news and you travel a lot and every city you go to, you love to watch their local news. I love local news. I don't know what it is. It's just like if I'm doing a movie in Nashville, I watch it. I do, I do local news in Long Island and in New York and LA and here as a correspondent. And I just think it's it's a great way of hearing about what's going on in the world, but also what's going on in your neighborhood, which to me is really important, just like our bubble lounge. Mm-hmm, definitely. It's about hearing about what's going on with your neighbors and what's the latest and the newest. And Ron Corning, our guest today, is a buddy of mine. He's one of the first people I met here through my brother. I had actually known him because I worked at New York One in New York uh, when Ron was working with my sister-in-law. Uh, we worked at E together, but really, we really met here and became friends, and he's helped me with work. And that's what he's doing today, helping others to become local news people. Uh, so he's going to be a great guest, and I know he's got a lot of juicy stories. <laughs> yeah, you can't work in the news business and not have some some interesting stories. In fact, I have something to tell you. I myself was a news anchor for um, a short period of time. <laughs> it was in college. In college, <laughs> I was going to guess. <laughs> yeah, no, no major networks were knocking on my door. It was Sooner Update, and I was anchoring the news, and we were reading a very serious story. It was um, about <laughs> <laughs> the sooner you got off the news, that like we could make all kinds of jokes. <laughs> <laughs> we were reading a very serious story, and I was very nervous, and I act really goofy whenever I get nervous. And so the story was showing on video. They cut back to me, and I burst out laughing right when the camera gets on to me. <laughs> and th- there was there was no stopping. There was no saving it. I, I, I could not compose Can myself. Can I tell you something? That's happened to me on stage oh. <laughs> before, and literally I remember thinking, what my first acting teacher told me, just use it. And I'm sitting there with like bulging eyes coming out of my head and I'm, I'm not going to laugh. And I'm like, I used it for the drama. Yeah, there was no using this moment. There's like absolutely no way to recover from it. Well, maybe Ron will have some tips for you. I bet he will. Okay. Yeah. So guys, we're going to take a little break. And when we get back, we're going to get some juicy stories. You're going to want to stay in the bubble lounge. We'll be right back. Martha and I would like to personally thank all of the fans of the Bubble Lounge podcast. We truly appreciate the feedback people like Sherry and Kathy and so many others have given to us. Your support encourages us week after week to keep the Bubble Lounge podcast going. It is women like you that make our community special. And if you enjoy this show, please help us spread the word on social media. Whether you use Facebook or Nextdoor Instagram, please take a moment and share it with your friends. Your help means a lot to us. So many women in the neighborhood have told us how much they have enjoyed this podcast. And with your help, we can share the show with many more. Welcome back from the break. We're sitting here with Ron Corning, who's best known as the WFAA morning anchor for the past eight years. He is very active in pretty much every philanthropic organization. He's emceed over 200 events. And on a side note, he's also was, was named 2006 People Magazine, one of the most beautiful people. Well, welcome to the show. Ron. To be fair about that 2006 <laughs> article, it was a it was a segment called Around the Clock, and so I was the 2 a.m. guy. So, I mean, I was up against like Billy Mays at the time, rest his soul, mm-hmm. selling you know, in Ron Popeil, yes, also a, a beautiful man in his own in his own He's right. right? Yes. But that was my competition at 2 a.m. <laughs> Around the Clock, People Magazine, yeah. <laughs> 
Well, Ron, it's true. You've been like – you've been a newscaster. You've been in news for how many years? Uh, 26 years come June. Wow. Yeah, then, since I graduated from college, got my first job. Wow. So um, you, New York, L.A. Give us a little history because I – You know, it's interesting because my pathway was relatively conventional in that back in the day you started at a small market and mm-hmm. you moved your way up to a larger market. I was really fortunate after 15 months to make a pretty large leap from Steubenville, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Which, if you know anything about the industry, you know, you have market one, which is New York, and two is LA, and three is Chicago, and four is Philly, and five is Dallas, where we are now, and it goes all the way up to 209. And what number was it? I was at 140. (laughs) You are in 140, and I made it to St. Louis, market 18. Wow. With just about five or six months' experience in in Steubenville, Ohio. And in part, at the time, Fox, as a local affiliate, was expanding into markets all over the country and starting news operations. And so they were looking for talent. They were looking for new anchors and reporters. And they were hiring younger people Mm -hmm. who had potential because they were paying a little less. Yeah. And so it created a lot of opportunities. So I think I was the beneficiary of a change in the business back in 94, 95, where I was able to go from a smaller market to a larger market in a fairly short amount of time, which is not to say that it wasn't competitive and a lot of work. And I mean, I went from relatively nothing in terms of the tools I had to work with to having everything to work with, being up in a chopper and in a sad truck and covering big stories. But I was also in the big leagues and and competing with other big name reporters in town. And it was was a life lesson, that's for sure. Yeah. And um, you didn't cover a lot of weather. You didn't do a lot of the tornadoes like my my <laughs> brother and rainstorms. I've and- <laughs> done my fair share of tornado chasing. I mean, in St. Louis, you're in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And so you, you are doing a fair amount of that. And in fact, in the spring of 1995, they had flooding. Mm-hmm. And they'd had a 100-year flood in 1993. You may remember it was a massive flood and levees broken. The video of houses being swept away and you know coming down the Missouri and Mississippi rivers. It was a huge story the summer of 93. They never imagined that a year and a half later, they would have, again, a flood of epic proportion. And there I was, a weekend reporter, low man on the totem pole, in Chesterfield, Missouri, with a sat truck doing live shots for my local affiliate. And CNN saw those live shots because we used to funnel all of our live shots through the CNN satellites. Yes. And they saw me and they said, can we use him for live shots here on CNN? Keep in mind, this is before MSNBC, Mm -hmm. before Fox News Channel, before YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. I mean, you watched your local affiliates or you watched 24-hour cable news. So I had an opportunity at a really young age, 24 years old, to report from the flooded areas of Chesterfield, Missouri in primetime on Saturday and Sunday nights for a period of three or four weeks back in the spring of 95. So I had gone from a small market of of, of no size, very little equipment to work with, making no money, wondering if I would ever get ahead to like in the middle of the floods and covering it on CNN. Kind of a surreal moment for me professionally. Yeah, and then how did you end up in New York uh, anchoring a desk with my sister-in-law? It's funny how things happen. Yes. Right? It's a small world. <laughs> and I was there then too. So. Well, when I appeared on CNN for that brief amount of time as a reporter from a local affiliate, Tori Smith, who mm-hmm. worked for ABC News, was a talent recruiter and she had seen me and she began to track my progress and who I was. That was her job at ABC. And when I wrapped up in St. Louis a couple of years later, 97, I had an agent 
And I had a chance to go to ABC to work for ABC News One, which is the affiliate news service that Gloria has worked for, your sister-in-law. Yes. And I also had an opportunity to go to Seattle and be a weekend anchor and work on special projects uh, for a smaller media company that had a great reputation, the Kelly Brothers at the time. And Bob Woodruff was the ABC News One correspondent in Chicago whose job I would be taking because he was moving to Washington. And I talked to him. And he gave me advice and he said, I think you should go to Seattle and I think you should work on special projects and cover some big elections there and some big news stories and get some more anchoring experience. And I bet you'll come back to ABC in the future in a different capacity that might provide more opportunity for you. And sure enough, long story short, 97 December, I go to Seattle and by August of 2004, I was working on the anchor desk at ABC overnight. With your sister-in-law. Yes, Gloria. Gloria Riviere, who wasn't your sister-in-law at the time. She was not. No. And Bob Woodruff, of course, had the horrible accident where he He was shot in the head. He was at my um, – I love his story because he really turned – he turned everything around. I mean a lot of people wouldn't recover from that. And he's doing really well and working in China now because I'm in touch with him. You sort of give me goosebumps when you say that because, you know, my mom is a head injury survivor. Mm -hmm. Her injury was very similar to his. So here is a guy who gives me career advice in 1997. I end up sitting on the anchor desk with him in the spring of 06 because the Pope, Pope John Paul mm-hmm. II, was ill and we had no idea at, at what point he might pass away. So Bob and I sat up on the overnight desk wondering when this might happen. He was injured shortly after that. Right. And the injury that he sustained from that IED was not unlike the injury that my mother sustained in terms of where the injury was, Mm -hmm. the left side of his – yes, the left side of of his brain. And so some of his speech issues of uh, aphasia and so forth um, were very similar to what my mother has experienced and he and I have talked about that. Yeah. It's interesting because your mom too has turned that around. Uh, So then you go from New York. You end up in LA. We were both at E! Entertainment at the same time as well. Actually, LA became – was before New York. I was in Seattle doing local and I had this feeling like I wanted to branch out. And I was going to LA and I was taking meetings and people were saying, if you lived here, we would put you to work. So I thought, I'm 28, 29 Mm -hmm. years old. It's now or never. Right. To move somewhere without a job. I'd saved up a little money. And I literally took a leap of faith. And once I got there, I started to question why I was doing it because I was piecemealing together a career and that that big thing never happened for me. Mm-hmm. But I was able to piecemeal together enough of a variety of experiences that it actually helped me be a little more well-rounded and show a little more range. And that landed me on The Daily Buzz, which was a show that allowed me to exercise my sort of news muscle and my interest in pop culture, entertainment, politics, everything that I'd gotten from working at E! and from working at Extra as a freelance person. And I guess what I'm trying to say in in encapsulating it is sometimes we take a left turn, we take a detour, and we wonder why we're there. But then when we step back from it, we look at the bigger picture, we start to see, okay, this all makes sense. This has helped me be the more well-rounded broadcaster that I need to be in order to be available to do more things. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you've worked at quite a few places and you have a very impressive track record. Tell us how you got to Dallas. Dallas was one of those life moments where I was in New York and I'd been working at Fox and for reasons that had nothing to do with 
my performance, my co-anchor's performance. They blew up the morning show we worked on. And it was a really difficult time in the business. It was 08. There weren't a lot of jobs available. And she and I, based on her advice, Jody Applegate had been the weekend anchor of the Today Show. And she was the first to get the uh, main female anchor job at News 12 Long Island, which was an all-news cable outlet on Long Island. And in a regular world, you wouldn't see two network anchors going to News 12 Long Island. But this was a different world we were living in. The business was resetting, and she encouraged me to go with her to News 12 Long Island. And she said, you know, when the going gets gets tough, the tough get going, so let's get on the air and show people that we, we're we relevant and we're going to continue working. And so we went there, and it was a great experience for both of us, and it led, in her case, to a job back in New York City. And in my case, it led to the main morning job at WFAA in Dallas. And I came here having never been to Dallas, with no intention of taking the job, but knowing that I should always hear what someone has to Mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. And they said all the right things. And I felt it. And I said, I'm going to take this opportunity and and moved here in 2011. And you're a real Dallasite now. I mean, you're you're such a fixture in town. Everybody knows you. I can't walk into a restaurant with you without everybody recognizing you. And like you said, you, you do a lot of charity work here as well. Tell us about that. It's funny. I have people who stop me and say, Ron, I just... I love your work. I love all that you do. And they've never watched News 8 Daybreak. <laughs> they know me from emceeing events. Yes. They know me only from that. And I say, well, really, they don't even – they know I'm a news guy, but they're not up that early or yeah. they don't have kids that would – And now that I'm not doing it any longer, I get it. I mean, my alarm goes off at 8 o'clock. But I know that if you're up and out the door and getting ready for school and getting the kids, you're watching for news, for weather, for whatever might be happening. So it's interesting that I'm sort of known on that circuit separately from what I actually was doing to make a living because I did like 280 events or something. Right. But I enjoyed that and it helped me feel like I was really part of the community. And when I moved here, I knew they were reinventing this morning show. I did not know – to what degree I was playing a role in that until they had a photo shoot that fall and I saw the storyboards of what everything was going to look like and I realized I would be on, you know, 48 billboards and or I think it was 48 buses and 22 billboards. And I literally, people thought, well, you know, he's going to get a big head. He's going to think he's, you know, running morning television. The truth is I was scared to death mm-hmm. because what? I thought if this doesn't work, if I don't do the right kind of job I need to do. If viewers don't tune in because of my presence, if I'm not a draw mm-hmm. and it fails, I won't have a job. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. That's really how I felt. So tell us about the More Ron campaign. Un- <laughs> I don't know if I should say fortunately or unfortunately, it really stuck. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. It's kind of catchy. It's it funny is. that you re- everybody remembers that. It- and there was this ongoing joke when I did the Daily Buzz that for some reason people called me Rob. Uh-huh. And I'm like, should I just change my name to Rob? <laughs> and then then they came up with the More Ron campaign. <laughs> and when I saw it, they asked me, are you comfortable with this? Because, you know, in a funny tongue-in-cheek way, we're saying you're a moron and we know we yeah. can do that because you're not. And I said, I think I'm pretty confident – in the fact that I'm not a moron, therefore I can make fun of myself. Yeah, I'm good with this. And it was a campaign. You can find it on YouTube if you if you want to play any of the audio. But uh, I think the premise was I'm enthusiastic about finding ways to make the show better and market it. And I say I've come up with this whole new I can this whole new brand, and it, it involves T-shirts and everything. More 
Ron, and then the announcer <laughs> says, you know, more Ron yes, in the morning. Like and, then I say to, and I say to Izzy, so, what do you think? More Ron? And she goes, Moron. <laughs> that has a nice ring to it. Yes. <laughs> so Izzy, being a great straight person and a great friend and a great on-air partner, played yes. along and made it fun and made it funny. And I never had second thoughts about it. People said, I can't believe the station would ever infer that one of their anchors is a moron. <laughs> I can't believe the anchor guy would go along with it and let people call him a moron. And I think to myself, if you don't have a sense of humor, if you can't be a little self-deprecating – What's the point? Well, right. they do. And morning TV, to me, I, I, I love morning TV. I watch it everywhere I go. When I'm in New York, that's all I watch. When I'm in LA, that's all I watch. When I'm here, that's what I watch. I, I just feel like it needs a sense of humor, right? I think... Because people want to know what's going on in their neighborhood. I think in a broad and sense... And also hear the news of the day. I think in a broad sense, we we all have gotten to a point as we disseminate information and analyze what's happening in the world... We take ourselves a little too seriously. I think as news people, when something big happens, we have to be there with the information. We have to be able to tell it concisely. We can't be alarmist. We, we, we have to take a measured approach in certain situations and, and, and give people the right information in the right way. All of that's a given, right? That's the foundation on which the business is built. But generally, the rest of the time, we take ourselves a little too seriously. And I, I believe all day parts, all shows could benefit a bit from all of us being a little bit more of ourselves and maybe a little more human for lack of a better description. Well, that's an interesting comment because when you watch uh, morning shows on the major networks, right, out of New York, like the Today Show, uh, they actually are a little more relaxed in some ways. It's almost like the missive of the network is please make it fun, mm -hmm. I right? I like that new approach. Well, and I think it's just – People wake up in the morning or people turn on the television or, or, or any other. We have so many forms now of media in which to get information. Mm -hmm. We want to know that the world has not come to an end. We want to know something horrifically tragic hasn't happened. And if it has, we want to know about it concisely and with compassion and accuracy. Mm -hmm. And again, beyond that, other stuff happening in our world, I think – is is conversation and take a look at this and I found this interesting and here's why and and it's it's become two way it's become a two way conversation because people can pick up their phone they can tweet you they can facebook you they can join in at any point either agreeing or disagreeing some of the best compliments I've gotten since being off the air and I've snapshotted a few of them people who say I didn't always agree with your point of view but I really appreciated the way you presented it and you never didn't not appreciate someone else's point of view. Mm -hmm. Well, and you're a social media. You're you're amazing at social media. You really are, and you do. You are I accessible. I, I I'm accessible, but it's tiring. Mm -hmm. I have to be honest. It, it can be it can be a, it can be a lot to handle. Making sure that you're tweeting the right things at the right time, and when are you Instagramming, and when are you Facebooking, and when do people really care what you're doing or what you think? And I have a hard time with that. Yeah, yeah I really uh, do. Tying in with that, I was curious how social media has affected you as a newscaster because it hasn't always been around. And obviously, to really stay relevant, you really need to be out there doing your Instagram stories and constantly posting things. Well, it used to be that 
you wouldn't really know how the public felt about you as mm-hmm. an on-air news person right. or on-air quote-unquote talent as, uh-huh. as, as they call it. Stations would do focus groups and those would be done quietly behind closed doors and they'd be privy to the results and maybe they'd share some of the results with you or maybe they wouldn't. And now – People are very emboldened to just tell you how they feel. Sometimes, <laughs> it's, so. sometimes it's constructive and sometimes it's not. And that yeah. little block feature sometimes is incredibly empowering. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I get it. You don't like me. Go away. I mean, some things I can fix and some things I can't. I mean, right. I am who I am in some ways. And if you don't like me, I get it. Yeah. This is why – Watch something else. This is why people you know, are single and it takes them a while to find the right person. We don't always identify with everybody on every level and we're not always meant to be friends mm-hmm. or dates or, or viewer – Anchor partners, right? You know, we're just that's just why you're not at the desk with not me. Not meant to be. Damn that's it. why there's five stations, damn it, and other cable stations. So if you like Joe Scarborough better, then well, there you go. Change the channel. I mean, what and can I? Then he can you? block you. Then he can block. <laughs> you. Well, um, you. One of the things I love about you is that you have almost a photographic memory. Like you remember everything. You're like, it happened on July 16, 2006. <laughs> I was blah blah blah. It's really fascinating to me. Uh, but and as you know, you and I met. At Cattle Baron's Ball, I yes. introduced myself to you. Um, so there, you have a lot of funny stories. Speaking of morning TV and ma- taking it and making it lighter. So when we come back after this break, we are going to ask Ron about some of his funniest stories that he reported hmm. on All in right. Dallas. It's a, it's a long break. Let's see if I can think about this. <laughs> okay, we'll be right back. If you're a fan of the Bubble Lounge, then we have a very special offer for you. Send us a text message to 313131 with the word bubble and join our exclusive community of Park City's moms. Every week we send you a link to the latest episode of the show, but that's not all. If you send a text right now, we will also send you a link to our private online membership website. Our membership site contains tons of helpful recommendations for women in the Park Cities. So whether you want to find something interesting for the kids, get recommendations for the best services, or just hang out online with other moms like you, Our membership site is the perfect place. And best of all, it is free to join. So take out your phone and send a text to 313131 with the keyword bubble, that's B-U-B-B-L-E, and join us and your neighbors in the Bubble Lounge. Welcome back from the break. We're sitting here with Ron Corning. And when we left off, we were talking about funny stories that he has at the news desk. Ron, tell us some of your best stories. Well, this one, the first one actually, as I'm sitting here, isn't really about the news desk, but it's about the news business and my first job. And I had a a, a lesson very early on about not believing your own press, Mm -hmm. not considering yourself to be a star when you're doing this job. I mean, this is not about stardom. I had been in West Virginia, my first job, almost a year. The spring had come, and I was asked to be a judge at the Miss Strawberry Festival <laughs> in Buckhannon, West that Virginia. Good. <laughs> when it was over, they gave me a plaque, which I still have at home. Oh, my God. That's so And it was a thank you plaque <laughs> to Ron Corning, spelled K-O-R-N-N-I-N-G. There you go. <laughs> so I thought to myself, I've really made an impression on the viewers here in Buckhannon, or – they really can't spell in West Virginia. I mean, we know they've got some issues with public education, but I was like, really? <laughs> K-O-R-N-N-I-N-G. Uh, my second weekend on the job, my first weekend anchoring a full newscast went relatively smoothly. 
but I also had somebody who produced it for me. The next weekend, I had to produce it myself, which meant ripping scripts off a printer and writing everything. And at the time, five copies you had to rip and read and tape them together to run them on the prompter and edit the tape and label the tapes and do the rundown and assign the reporters their stories and follow up everything. You did everything. The anchor did everything. And I didn't give myself enough time and I didn't know enough about time management and I missed slot and they sat in black for a minute. <laughs> you didn't know. And I was sweating. <laughs> oh and I had these big horn rim glasses that I used to wear. And they were fogged up? <laughs> they were fogging up and they started like to slide down my again. face. <laughs> and I could feel them sliding, sliding, sliding. And I was doing a story about the coal miners' strike, which was oh, a God. huge, huge deal yes. in June of 1993. And just as I turned to a one shot, I felt the glasses slip and I inadvertently pushed them up with my middle finger. <laughs> And the general manager called me, and I thought <laughs> I thought that was it. Yep. He asked me if I had contact lenses, and I said yes. He said, you're to wear them on the air. <laughs> he said, do you know where you've moved to? I said, yes, sir. He said, you just gave the coal miners the finger. Oh, my gosh. They're, in the mi- they're embattled and embroiled in the middle of, <laughs> of a union contract dispute. And they're on the picket line and literally the phones are lighting up that you gave them the finger, (laughs) which I had not done, of course. But inadvertently, I went like this. You can't see me doing it. But right? The the hand comes up and the middle finger pushed the glasses up. Uh, My friend Bill recently got in trouble from management. And this circles back to what we talk about, about being human. You didn't get fired, though. I did not get fired. (laughs) Did you you have to apologize to those guys, to the coal miners? We didn't apologize. Mm -hmm. We moved on, of course, and I didn't wear the glasses again. <laughs> but had YouTube been around at the time, someone would have captured. It would have been like in repeat. repeat. Well, they would have. They would have <laughs> captured my entire, you know, first months worth of newscasts, and I either would have been the biggest internet sensation yes. or never worked again. Like it could have gone one way or the other. Exactly. Because I, I was so nervous mm-hmm. that I was really bad, but I knew I could be really good. I just had to overcome. The nerves and learn time management and how to better put a newscast together and, mm-hmm. and all those things. But no, I did not lose my job. My friend Bill recently in Huntsville, Alabama, this gets back to what we were talking about, about humanity and being human and just being yourself, started to read a story and he started to not be able to get through it. And it was about a delivery man who has was disgruntled um, with the person who placed the order. And they'd caught him some – he, on camera, had videotaped himself – this is in the script that my friend Bill is reading – placing his testicles in the salsa. (laughs) What? Before before delivering. So he he sends the delivery to the people and they'd been giving him a hard time about the delivery and it was wrong and he went back to his car and decided to videotape himself putting his testicles in the salsa. (laughs) And after they'd gotten the order, he posted the video to YouTube Mm -hmm. to say, guess what? I dragged my testicles through. (laughs) (laughs) And he could not read it. (laughs) He did a really good job, but he started cracking up. (laughs) And I thought he did a really good job at finishing the story. (laughs) But he got in trouble. And I go, they put put that story in your newscast. 
How could you not laugh? How could you not like? How could something about that not strike you funny? And it, not because you think it's funny, but it's so absurd. Talk about having a ball. And you're reading it. Talk right? about reading having it. a ball on the job. Yeah, right. Seriously. The guy had balls, didn't he? I mean, I mean really it's a good did. thing I didn't have that story. The jokes would have gone on for you know for days. Oh yeah. Being on the ball at your job. Is that what you meant? Yeah, right? I, think that's what, I think that's what she meant. <laughs> so, Ron, obviously you have this great career and all this history, and you have a lot to teach people, which everybody's learning right now, listening. What are you up to these days? Well, you know, it's interesting because there are job opportunities that I've been offered mm-hmm. that probably 12 years ago I would have jumped on, mm-hmm. but you get to a point in life where – you start to measure priorities differently, where you want to be. You're not moving anywhere for just anything. And I told myself after the 08 situation at Fox in New York, I would never again be defined by being, quote, unquote, on TV. Right. That we have skills and abilities to communicate and qualifications that I think are transferable. So um, I've tried to take a break and really, like, take in some time with friends and see family and do some travel – but I have people reaching out to me, and among them is on-air media to help them with a hosting workshop with up-and-coming talent. There are a lot of people who now are doing podcasting, YouTube videos, Instagram videos. There are reporters who want to anchor who aren't getting those opportunities where they're working currently, and they want to sit with an anchor and go through a newscast and learn some of the nuances of what it takes to go off script because those are actual skills that get better with time and experience. So Mm -hmm. um, I'm working with On Air Media. You can go to on-airmedia.com. Great company here in town that does a lot of podcasting and video casting and media training. So I'm working on a project with them, which is a lot of fun with younger people who are excited about being in the business and uh, other media training with CEOs of companies who have crisis management issues or who are making appearances on Cheddar TV or CNBC's Power Lunch. And they want to learn how to speak better about their company and their products. And so finding messaging. And so those opportunities are coming to me Mm -hmm. without me asking for them. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting. I've never, I've never been in that position before. So um, I'm just taking it as it comes. And it's been a really great time for me. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you're the perfect person to do that. And I'm sleeping in until 7. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're like, o'clock. woohoo, 7. Yay, um, sleeping in. So do you have any silly stories about being on air since you are, and I understand when you say about staying in Dallas, because Dallas really is your home now. You've been here. You're very involved in the community. You've got great friends here. You've got you know, just a great life here. So do you have any silly stories about anything you had to report on in the bubble or Highland Park at any point? I remember us talking on air about – Like a cat in a tree or something. I think – no, no. I think we've I think we've since really coined this phrase, first world problems yes. or that's a white lady's problem. Yes. Or, right? We, <laughs> yes, we've, we've coined these phrases. And I remember a few years back – the one of the publications in Highland Park putting out a notice to parents that the cafeteria, I think at the high school, wasn't going to be completed in time. The renovation mm-hmm. was running two or three that. weeks mm-hmm. late. You would have thought, <laughs> like, I, I don't know what sort of a disaster this was for Highland Park moms, but they started sounding off about 
the level of inconvenience. And all I could think about is my mother making my peanut butter and jelly sandwich <laughs> the night before school, always packing my lunch. And I'm like, these women can't pack lunches? Like, what is this? Hey, that's a huge inconvenience. And don't they have people to do this? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> can't they just say, make a sandwich and pack it? I mean, can't <laughs> you just have a, can't you just cater lunch for all the kids? Exactly. Pool your resources? Yes. What about getting food trucks? That's always a big thing. Just pull up a food truck for <laughs> I three. just remember thinking to myself, I cannot believe the level of outrage yeah. over something like we had lunch ladies with like hair nets and these large yes. blue yeah. remember the Not large in Highland Park and they were so grumpy and, and, and the food had sat there for like hours mm-hmm. and it would yeah. roll in these big carts and these big uh, blue thermo warming things and it was styrofoam it was the like food being was in, in styrofoam it was like being in the prison <laughs> right and they'd roll <laughs> out like the, the cafeteria line and you'd pick up your tray and your yeah. your, your foam container with like you know a soggy sandwich yes. and pizza yeah. that was you know half cooked and, and I'm thinking to myself wasn't even made with like from pizza dough and don't you remember the, the biggest insult was being a lunch lady like that was the biggest insult not in Highland Park you're looking at one right here Ron <laughs> no you're it you've been elevated if you're the lunch lady yeah it's true it's a status symbol <laughs> So anyway, so tell us again where people can find you. Um, well, I mean, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter. So, you know, people are saying things to me like, you'll land on – I was at an event. They go, Ron, you'll land on your feet. I said, well, I'm standing right here. I'm on my feet. <laughs> Looks like I've landed on my feet. So, yeah, I'm available. I'm accessible. I'm still in Dallas because I'm not on TV does not mean I'm dead. <laughs> Are you okay? I haven't seen you on TV. No, those of us who are on TV, we still breathe and live and yes. things still happen outside of it. It's Life really, in, it's incredible how it works. Uh, so I'm accessible, available at my project with On Air Media is just one of a number of things I'm doing. So, hey, listen, if you, if you want to, if you need media training or coaching or messaging for your brand, just, you know, DM me. Slide into my DMs. Oh my gosh, Damn. Yes. Damn. <laughs> well, that's it, our show. Ron Corning, thank you so much for being on. You bet. Uh, I'm Nellie Shudo. And I'm Martha Jackson. And you've been in the Bubble Lounge. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>